Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence of racism. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Well, 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 we meet again, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 8 of Woking Up. Guilt by Association, part 2. I welcome hate listeners as well. Maybe if you keep an open mind, the fog of Harris worship will begin to lift and you will be freed of that curse. But I can only nudge you in that direction and provide you with the tools and information. You'll have to do the rest of the work yourself. Anyway, hate listeners and regular listeners, This is the episode where I try to cram as many of the awful people and views Sam has endorsed into one remaining episode on this topic because I don't want to spend yet another one on this vast branch of Harrisology. And we all know that it'll be impossible to actually cram everything in here because of the sheer volume of garbage people and ideas that he is fond of. But I will do my best to curate your journey through this section of the swamp. (laughs) So, I hear the steel manning champion, inventor of logic and reason, Harris himself has been out there, yet again implying that I am just a crazy woman with absolutely nothing to back that up and no substantive criticism of my views or work or anything. And as we all know, this is not the first time Harris has called me crazy on air. He's done that on Eric Weinstein's podcast before, as we've covered in earlier Woking Up episodes. And I gotta shout out the gentlemen of the I Don't Speak German podcast. Thanks to them for highlighting his recent assholery regarding this. I will link their episode in the show notes. It is not often that dude podcasters come to my defense, but they're lovely guys, Jack and Daniel. Do check their podcast out. I'm more used to brocasters either purposely ignoring my extensive work on Harris or implying that I'm way too hysterical, that he is just a poor, misguided progressive or something that I'm being too hard on only for them to come to similar conclusions themselves later. And I mean, that's nothing new. I've been at this a while. So that kind of thing happened back in 2014 and 2015 when I started criticizing Dave Rubin and people like Gad Sad too. I used to get piled on and called a regressive leftist. And now many of those people themselves see exactly what Rubin and Gad and that whole crew is. 
In fact, I warned Harris about them in my chat with him in 2016, and he just made excuse after excuse after excuse. And, you know, I have been proven extremely correct on this matter since then, and in contrast, he has been proven extremely incorrect. Yet, no acknowledgement of that fact, just that, you know, I criticize him, so I must be crazy. Of course, of course. Not like there's a long history of men trying to discredit women by saying shit like this, even when the women in question know their stuff. Here's a couple of clips from my chat with Sam in 2016. Yeah, well, no, but it just insofar as I think you have the wrong idea about them, I think it's useful to, to say so because um, you know, D- Dave uh, seems to me to be an extremely ethical person who would check all the right boxes I mean, in terms of, you know, gay rights and women's rights. And I mean, and, oh, no, and, I think you're so wrong about that. Okay, well, so, but I mean, so then that's that's something that I think you're wrong about. And I, I wouldn't know how to uh, resolve that apart from, you know, getting you know getting him on your podcast or you on right. his. And, and but how do you, why do you think I'm wrong when I've shown you, like, a, a list of the people that... Well, I just, well, 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 I, do, I just think he, it's, it's what you're reading into the refusal to call them out. I mean, so there's, what could be functioning there is he has a very journalistic agenda or a much more journalistic agenda than I do or than you a do. A journalistic agenda with a bunch of crazies. Well, just, only. Well, no, well, it's not only crazies. I mean, he's, he's, well, it's he's like the occasional, occasional, yes. I just, in, in my experience, again, it's, it's a limited one, but my experience of, of these guys who you are worried about, Dave and Douglas and Gad, I think they are actually very ethical people who are playing a game in a way that, you, you know, you're, you think is um, uh, offensive or, or has blind spots that you think are consequential. And, and in some respects, you may, you may be right about that. I the conversation back. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off there. You know, my following of Sam Harris is sometimes like a like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Then one day there's like, oh, this interview with Anne Marie Waters is good, and I'm like, oh no, Sam. Well, well that's Why? another example. So that's the only thing I've ever seen from Anne Marie Waters. But you see why then Gad and Ruben are, are are doing some harmful things because they're presenting these people in the best light possible. Okay, but but so so but do you agree? You, you watched that interview, right? Did, do you I, agree that that she came off? I mean, she basically no. sounded like me or or Douglas or someone. I mean, D- Douglas. I didn't my version watch of Douglas. the interview, okay. but I just uh, I know who she is, and I know that she thinks if you're not anti-immigration, as she said to me and Mariam Namazi, then you're pro the rape of white women. Um, right, but I guess, so and I, she heads this organization called Pegida with Tommy and right. with a a white genocide guy called uh, Paul Weston, I believe. And um, she, Paul Weston is a guy who thinks that no Muslims should ever be allowed to hold public office, even Muslims like Majid Nawaz. And 
they're all heading this uh, pro-freedom, supposedly, uh, organization, which which is clearly contradictory because they're not pro-freedom. Tommy talks about uh, deporting Muslims. Uh, Paul Weston doesn't want them to be able to hold public office. Anne-Marie thinks you're pro-rape of white women if you're not anti-immigration uh, or prepared to let rape happen. And uh, but, but she the, thinks that... But the problem, I mean, again, the... the I mean, this is this is an area where we're in, you know, it, it, this is a gray area in the sense that, you know, she's right. When you look at what's happened in Europe in the last 12 months, you have a lot of you have a lot of people on the left who are prepared to let w- white women get raped by Muslim immigrants. I mean, there 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 are people who are prepared to be raped themselves. I don't know if you're. <laughs> Well, not only did Sam's words age poorly here, they sounded almost as ridiculous in that moment as they do now. Claiming Dave had an extremely journalistic agenda in 2016 was almost as ludicrous then. Dave had already had InfoWars Paul Joseph Watson on, Cernovich, and the wife-beating advocate Karen Strawn on, so it was pretty obvious that he did not, in fact, have a journalistic agenda. And uh, Douglas Murray, Sam is still BFFs with, but surely even he can now see how wrong he was in claiming that Gad and Dave were extremely ethical people that I was just wrongly offended by. But hey, what do I know? I'm just a crazy hysterical woman. Oh, and I also thought I'd point out that uh, if you think fucking Anne Marie Waters sounds like you on the topic of immigration specifically, that is not a good reflection on you. She was too fucking racist for fucking UKIP. Nigel Farage found her too bigoted and couldn't stomach her rhetoric. For fuck's sake! (laughs) And As for the claim that there are a lot of people on the left who are willing to let white women be raped by Muslim immigrants and even be raped themselves, I I mean, this clip is what inspired me to do Woking Up in the first place because most people don't even realize how reactionary Sam Harris is and it's about time they did. I mean, that clip is just him telling on himself, isn't it? As you can probably hear in the background, I am shocked he said that at all. I I kind of gasp and say, what? And I'm basically stunned into silence because I was not expecting that. Even as a Sam Harris fan at that time, I was like, oh, fuck, what did I just hear? Anyway... It is interesting, generally, as a non-white and non-dude podcaster, the kinds of feedback that I get from some types, the kinds of comments that I see about me, you know, stuff like, I'm so mean and rude and just too abrasive and sarcastic and not gentle and ladylike enough. I even (gasps) swear sometimes. Well, look. I am certainly sorry to disappoint anyone with my sarcasm and low tolerance for bullshit right-wing apologetics, but even if you dislike what I have to say or disagree with me, you should be able to see that I do try to back up what I say with 
mountains of evidence and clips and research. It's not like I just go around calling people I disagree with crazy or mentally ill or pornographers of something or another. No siree, my lady brain does not permit for such high levels of rationality. <laughs> Jokes aside though, recently I've been getting some great feedback too. Some wonderful shout outs and people have been recognizing the effort and time I put into this slimy subject matter. And it's been really nice to see. I, I really appreciate that. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to you, dear listeners. It means a lot to me that so many of you have reached out to me and sent kind words of encouragement. And as awareness about an interest in Harris and his particular brand of hackery grows, I hope more and more people will continue to find this series useful. I'm also really heartened by the fact that I've been getting a lot of vocal support and shout-outs from women lately. The online world can seem like a very cis, male-dominated space, so it's very refreshing and encouraging to see support from a more diverse audience, too. Not that I have any issues with support from men. That's all great, too. But it's just nice to see others in there, too, you know? Anyway... If you, too, enjoy the show and find value in it, I hope you will consider becoming a patron, because that's what keeps the show going. And also because you get access to full episodes of Woking Up before anyone else does. Alright, moving on. Let's get back to Sam. Now, where were we? Ah, yes, his terrible views and associations. Dun, dun, dun. Let's just skim through some of Sam's recent takes. What's he been putting out there recently? Lest you think his worst views are in the distance, he is happy to keep reminding you he stands by them by covering his greatest hits again and again and again. And he's so bloody repetitive, my goodness. But to give you a real sense of his most current takes, I, I gotta share those with you too. So apologies if you've heard him talk about this stuff before, but here's the latest version of it. There is an asymmetry here, which many of us have had occasion to bemoan, which is that what's happening on the right Apart from the fact that it, in many respects, captured the presidency last time around. Apart from the fact that it, in many respects, captured the presidency last time around. Captured the presidency. Captured the presidency. Apart from the fact that it, in many respects, captured the presidency last time around. Culturally speaking, it is a fringe phenomenon. It is a fringe phenomenon. I mean, you just, you don't have to burn much intellectual or ethical fuel to spell out what's wrong with white supremacy or neo-Nazis or the imbeciles who show up with tiki torches chanting, Jews will not replace us. That doesn't represent much of culture. And insofar as that the problem of that kind of racism and intolerance still exists in our society, it's already totally stigmatized by decent, sane, effective, to use your term, people. It just doesn't represent much of culture. It certainly it doesn't represent our, our good institutions. But when you look at what's happening on the far left and what should be 
truly fringe claims like you know mathematics is racist you know the idea of showing your work is racist the idea of having a right answer to a a problem is racist those claims are not just coming out of the mouths of blue-haired maniacs look 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 just because the far right and racists captured the fucking presidency doesn't mean it's not super fringe don't even worry about the fact that Richard Spencer is out there on Twitter spaces right now as I record this. Trust me, racism, white supremacy are all things we just don't see anymore. Extremely fringe of the fringe. Our good institutions are certainly not racist. N- no, don't look over there. And oh, and not there either. Just Just close your eyes and trust me on this one. Racism. Not even a real thing anymore. Uh, Okay, okay, fine. It sort of is, but only Nazis do it. And everyone says Nazis are bad, okay? Everyone. Do you even see anyone wearing a swastika in the grocery store anymore? No, right? So quit your whining and focus on the real issue here. People pointing out racism. That is what systemic issue we really need to be concerned about. Here are a few examples I heard from Ben Shapiro. Did you know they're saying numbers are racist now? Education is racist? Where will this end? You see, pointing out racism is what's not fringe. That is the real threat here. People like Ibram X. Kendi, who are pushing a politics on the rest of the country that resembles nothing so much as mental illness. And because they enjoy this asymmetrical advantage with respect to social stigma, because being accused of racism in particular is so destructive to a person's reputation, these activists are successfully silencing and cowing most good people. And the people who do have the courage to call bullshit on all this dishonesty and bullying can be made to seem like they're joining the ranks of bad people who are really racist and sexist and transphobic. So now we have the spectacle of some of the least racist people and institutions on Earth issuing abject apologies, the kinds of apologies that would seem appropriate in an exit interview from the Ku Klux Klan, just rending themselves over their past sins and... I mean, this is something that recently happened. You may have heard about this at uh, Juilliard, right? And its drama department in particular just tore itself apart over its alleged racism. But the drama department at Juilliard is 50% black. It's circulating crazed lists of demands to itself, talking about how black bodies are being subjected to violence under this appallingly racist regime at Juilliard. And it, so this has become the... Like the Salem witch trials. Like the Salem witch trials. Like the Salem witch trials. And uh, I remain convinced that 
this fever will break at some point and that same people will step forward and acknowledge that while there's still a lot of work to do to address specific inequalities in our society, we have made tremendous progress. I mean, there is in fact less racism and sexism and transphobia at this moment in America, and in particular in our institutions, than there has ever been anywhere on earth. And not to acknowledge that is becoming increasingly perverse, even while you, uh, you are right to want to work to resolve remaining inequalities. Look, it's fine if you want to resolve remaining inequalities, I guess, but don't actually do anything about it because that gets annoying. <laughs> and he loves this straw man and this framing of this is the least racist and least sexist and least bigoted time ever. Yes, because of something called the passage of time and because of progress. I think everyone understands that things have improved from the days of segregation and the days of slavery. I mean, nobody is saying that there has been no progress, but people are not going to stop fighting for more progress. What the status quo warriors of today want is for everyone to stop demanding more because they got some basic human rights on paper. What more could you want? Things are better, right? What are you still complaining about? Oh, and I looked at this stuff at Juilliard that Sam is so upset about. It being one of the least racist institutions on the planet and all. How dare someone complain about racism or racial insensitivity when Sam has already decided how extremely not racist the place is. <laughs> but yeah, I looked it up and from what I found, it seems that he's actually angry someone dared to call out a pretty obviously awful and traumatic sounding quote-unquote immersive slavery workshop. A student, Marion Gray, said her class was asked to pretend they were slaves as a guest speaker played a soundscape of whips, chains, rain, and racial slurs. She spoke up to bring attention to the fact that even though the workshop was taught by an African-American, it didn't matter because it was A, allowed to happen at Juilliard, and B, not addressed in an adequate manner. I mean, can you imagine how much pain and hurt that could bring up for someone? Someone who is still living through and experiencing racism and watching the headlines and videos of police violence in the U.S. towards African Americans? I'm sure it's possible the person who was running the workshop didn't have bad intent and maybe they thought it was an edgy, visceral way to get in touch with something, pain and art. I don't, I don't know, but... But that's just not something you can suddenly toss at people. And the fact that it was approved and no one thought to stop it at any stage before students actually had to experience it is indicative of a problem. According to CBS, Sam also gets the numbers very wrong. But hey, what does that matter when you're fear-mongering to your massive audience? 
He said that half of the drama department at Juilliard is black, but in reality that number is just under 25%. So he basically just doubled it to make his point. Extremely logical science dude that he is. And these aren't just recent observations either. In 2012, playwright and alumni Lee Edward Colston II also brought up concerns about a lack of diversity in staff. The student body may be pretty diverse, but if the people in positions of authority and making decisions and teaching aren't, well, that could be a problem. To CBS, he said, If you have a predominantly white faculty, there are cultural blind spots, right? And he recalled an incident where a white faculty member used the N-word to try and provoke a reaction from the group. Now, does Sam think it's unreasonable for a student to expect not to have a racial slur hurled at them by a faculty member? Does he think it's oversensitivity to not want to attend an immersive slavery workshop, for fuck's sake? Does he think it's completely ridiculous for a prestigious educational institution to apologize for such things happening within it? It never ceases to amaze me. The things that enrage Sam Harris, like opposition to bigotry and racism, versus the things he absolutely isn't bothered by, like bigotry and racism. The moment a a university or a newspaper or a tech company gets successfully sued with significant damages, and I don't know if, I don't know what the what specific legal lever can be pulled there to make it truly actionable. I don't know if it's a, a hostile workplace lawsuit or defamation or reverse discrimination in certain cases. Reverse discrimination in certain cases. Reverse discrimination. Depending on, on what the actual story is. These are slightly different cases I'm thinking of. But something that delivers a, a real a quantifiable penalty uh, where it's just too costly to be the kind of school or newspaper or tech company that will put up with this. And uh, I don't know if, I mean, do you see that tide turning? I get this sort of thing wrong, but I can easily see someone just like me after seeing one after another dishonest claim of victimhood, right? To just, the temptation is to throw up your hands and say, just fuck it, I'm, I'm done caring about this particular flavor of human problem, right? Like, get it, you, you guys work it out, right? Let me know when you've sorted out your problems in the inner city or, you know, wherever you are, sorted out your problems in the inner city. I'm done thinking about it, right? Now, that's not the kind of person I want to be, but... The level of dishonesty behind so many of these allegations is so appalling, right, and so corrosive of so much else that we value and should value, right? Re- you know, the real reputations of good people who are not racist just going up in flames over fall, you know, just deranged allegations that uh, no sane person should have ever been taken in by. Being a little bit more generous with each other, realizing that progress is a function of conflict and debate instead of instead of always looking for reasons uh, to go after one another. Well, I think a principle of charity is 
essential and it, it has to be one's default and, and when you when you lose your purchase on it you have to notice that and get back to it no matter who you're talking to i mean i i think you should extend a principle of charity even to people who you think are probably bad actors right and who you don't want to have anything to do with i mean principle of charity is just you know allow your opponent allow the person you're talking to to put forward their best case and if they're if they're not especially sure-footed in doing that, help midwife the best case so that you, then when you respond, you're actually dealing with the best case, right? So you're you're, you're steel manning rather than straw manning their position. Right. right. Oh yeah, Sam always makes sure to steel man his opponents. And what was that about a principle of charity? maniacs, people like Ibram X. Kendi, who are pushing a politics on the rest of the country that resembles nothing so much as mental illness. Blue-haired maniacs. Yet to my eye, he is a kind of pornographer of race. Pornographer of race. Then sort of turn on our heels at this, you know, when we're on the final, you know, something like the final yard. Great news, everyone. We're on the final yard. Racism is basically over, as Sam has been telling us again and again and again. And declare that not only have we made no progress, this is like the height of the the emergency now, right? It's sanity straining, and it's, it's and it's a lie, right? It's just it's just a lie, and and so it's um, it's like we've run out of real racists to find, and so now our racist detector had to be recalibrated, and now we're finding, you know, fake racists everywhere, you know, fake racists everywhere, you know, fake racists everywhere. Racists are so rare and hard to find that people have to make racists up. Sam, of course, is an excellent judge of what is and isn't racism. His track record on this is incredible. And now we're finding, you know, fake racists everywhere, right? And and um, it's... I, so I do think, yes, I think people are getting fed up with it. I know they're getting fed up with it in private. I mean, I, I have these conversations and I get these emails. Um, and I talk to the CEOs who won't say anything publicly. And I talk to the venture capitalists who won't say anything publicly. Again, because there's no percentage in, in it for them. You know, there's, there are too many people relying on them for their financial well-being. Why would they want to come on a podcast and say that they're not woke? Who could doubt what we saw there was the result of homicidal racist hatred on the part of a police officer leading to the death of George Floyd. Well, I will suggest to you that there is absolutely no evidence of racism in that video. And therefore, no one who has ever seen that video has actually seen evidence of racism there. And that is easy to understand if you have your wits about you. And yet, I have yet to see a single mainstream journalist notice that. That's a problem. It's a problem that we can't even discuss the actual statistics of police violence 
without people going berserk and making further allegations of racism. And clearly the New York Times isn't up to the job. So from my point of view, the spell simply has to break. This identitarian hysteria has to be condemned for what it is. A moral panic, an utterly retrograde descent into tribalism and hypocrisy. And in the face of the obvious progress we've made on all these points with respect to racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia, it amounts to a massive instance of gaslighting for our entire society. Once again, I'm obliged to issue the defensive caveats, right? Nothing I just said should be construed as a denial that racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and any other social problem you want to list still exist, right? Of course they do. And we should condemn them and resist them wherever they surface. Sam is always happy to acknowledge that these problems exist in a vague, abstract sort of way, but any specific instance that you put in front of him, he will deny, deny, deny. Almost nothing will meet his bar for racism, sexism, or transphobia, and that's how he justifies saying that it barely exists. And as I've said several times before, I think it's a very good thing that Derek Chauvin will be spending decades in prison for what he did. But on that particular point, there's still no evidence that what he did was motivated by racism. That evidence may be forthcoming, but it's just pure delusion to think that on the basis of that video, we've seen yet another instance of homicidal racism in America. We simply don't have those facts. say, well, uh, African Americans are 13% of of the population, so anything more than 13% of arrests and 13% of of negligent uh, homicides or or justified homicides on the part of the cops, uh, anything more than that has to be a sign of racism. You know, or you know, inappropriate profiling of, of black suspects. Well, no, because uh, African Americans are involved in a vastly disproportionate amount of violent crime. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, African American crime counts for fifty percent, and in some cases, more of violent crime in America. Right, but they're. The argument is that's a product of systemic racism. Well, okay, but it's, it, it's one that's a bad argument. I mean, you could, even if you're going to to allege that that um, it, it, that's the well, origin it's a vague, story. It's a vague argument. Yeah. Well, it's just that there's nothing. There's no what 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 systemically racist policy can we change today that will prevent the murders we know will happen in Chicago this weekend to black people by black people, right? Like, like if, if we could wave a magic wand and get rid of all the racists and all the racist policies, uh, would we expect fewer murders this weekend in Chicago, right? That's it's a very hard argument to make. I mean, so, so how we solve the murder problem in the black community, the murder problem in the black community is a... Is a uh, it's a very difficult question to answer, uh, and 
and it is by no means clear that the current existence of racists or racist policies is is the proximate cause. Uh, but it's just it's just a fact that when you when you if police are going to be looking to stop the most violent crimes as they should, they are going to be meeting far many more black people, a disproportionate number of black people than Asians. Black people commit 50% of violent crime currently in America. They're not 50% of the people killed by cops. They're more like, I believe it's, it's closer to 30%. Um, so it's, um, anyway, I mean, you know, these are, it's, it's a hard, this is a hard conversation to have, but it's an impossible conversation to have if you're going to allege that one white guy like me can't say anything, right? And two, uh, the answer has to be always racism. They're being told by this corner of the culture that no, 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 it's, it's too soon to say that. It's going to always be too soon to say that you're post-racial or post-racial or post-racial or or, or um, you know truly uh, blind with respect to these these differences among people. These differences have to be ramified. They have to be acknowledged. Um, you, you as a white person have no stand. I mean, Chelsea just said it from this chair. You, you as a white person have no standing with which to say anything about race, mm-hmm. right? That's madness. Right? It's absolute madness. That's madness. Right? It's absolute madness. Heartbreaking, isn't it? How white guys who don't experience racism very often are just not taken seriously when they insist. Racism isn't really a big deal anymore, and minorities should quit complaining. It's funny how Sam finds himself in these heartbreaking situations often. Another one that he keeps finding himself in is that all his IDW friends are embarrassing as fuck now, even for him. They weren't when they banded together as the intellectual dark web or when they were just down with phrenology and great replacement stuff. But now they've crossed the line, even for Sam. Look, there's only certain conspiracies that he's okay with, but the anti-vax stuff is too much even for him. Funny thing is that uh, Brett Weinstein is calling this branch of the IDW sphere quote-unquote medically woke. It is hilarious that the small pro-vax branch of anti-wokists is being criticized for their supposed wokeness. And if that doesn't demonstrate the absolute meaninglessness of using woke as an insult, I don't know what does. But yeah, poor Sam. How does one extremely logical guy find himself surrounded by so many right-wing hacks, disinformation peddlers, and conspiracy theorists? I wonder, could it be that he shares a lot of the same views and beliefs and that he is drawn to such types? And if it weren't for the global pandemic, he might still happily be on the same page as them? I don't know. (laughs) Just today, as I record this segment, I saw him respond to a rather reasonable-sounding David Frum tweet, 
And this is not the first time Frum has been way to the left of Harris. Just just imagine being to the right of George W. Bush's former speechwriter. And people still buying that you're on the fucking left. (laughs) Anyway, Frum tweeted, There's an article to be written explaining how and why so many people who began with anti-woke as their defining identity ended up as anti-vax. Why, yes, David Frum, that is a very interesting question. Well worth asking, and anyone interested in critical thinking would have noticed this pattern and questioned the frequency of this occurrence. But Sammy was ready to jump in defensively with a bunch of excuses for right-wing anti-vaxxers who he absolutely does not sympathize with. No, 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 not like we covered some of his overlaps and talking points with them and woken up seven or anything. (laughs) Anyway, Sam responded, Might be as simple as, colon, The establishment has been captured by an infuriating ideology. Brackets. Wokeness which is contaminating even the most basic scientific and medical communication. So now I will trust only non-standard sources of information and look for conspiracies everywhere. Now I wonder who's been pushing shit like, oh my god, everything you know and love has been captured by wokeness. Can't even trust science and medicine anymore because of how infected with wokeness they've become. The CDC is too woke. (laughs) Now, there are, of course, legit criticisms of the way some things have been handled by the CDC, like their recent shortening of isolation time for COVID-positive people. What the fuck? Or, like, the earlier decision that vaccinated people no longer need to mask indoors when anyone could just remove their mask and claim they're vaccinated if they're not asked to prove otherwise. But those things are not a result of wokeness. Quite the opposite, in fact. Sam himself sees and promotes these wokeness fear-mongering conspiracies everywhere. So it should be no surprise that he is sympathetic to anti-woke, anti-vaxxers going down that road because he deeply feels all their non-vax-related bogus grievances himself. What was it he used to say about how it reflected badly on Muslims as a whole when they were radicalized by anti-Muslim bigotry, by war and bombings? That was never legitimate as a radicalizing force in his view, but, oh, fear of wokeness. Very legit. Just like he said it was understandable people voted for Trump because of pronouns and being told their Halloween costumes were in poor taste. (laughs) Just amazing stuff. Very consistent guy. Anyway, here's a couple more of his recent clips. What we have now is a, a trigger warning standing in front of our entire civilization, right, from the point of view of the left. Um, but no, I mean, we have, we have new forms of segregationism. You know, we have, you know, we have people, you know, areas of schools where whites shouldn't enter, right? Because it's, there's a, there's a social experiment, uh, underway where it's just, this is the multicultural area. And if you're a white person who wanders into it, you're, you're, um, you're 
guilty of some kind of desecration. Absolutely heartbreaking, I know. The only real racism that exists today is anti-white racism, obviously, and segregation. But does this clip remind you of something from last episode? Hmm. There's a clip of Stephen Miller talking about CRT that I played. Let me just play it again to refresh your memory. Joining me now, Steve Miller, my great pal. Critical race theory is simply a new attempt at segregation, a new attempt at dividing people based on their skin color. And the party of Lincoln, the party of Reagan, the party of Trump, the party of Eisenhower will not stand for it. Um, but, no, I mean, we have, we have new forms of segregationism. And critical race theory is simply a new attempt at segregation, a new attempt at dividing people based on their skin color. New forms of segregationism. A new attempt at segregation. New New forms forms of segregationism. A new new attempt attempt at segregation. So, wowee, eh? That was some collection of Harris clips. And some very interesting parallels, too, huh? But yes, I am so sorry for inflicting all of that upon you. We're only just getting warmed up. There's loads more where that came from, but I wouldn't want anyone to overdose on those high-level ideas, so let's begin to filter this a bit now. The theme of this episode and the previous one is guilt by association, as we've already talked about. You hear that thrown around a lot in the rational sphere. What is it even, though? Well, it can be a type of ad hominem fallacy. As Wikipedia puts it, if the argument attacks a person because of the similarity between the views of someone making an argument and other proponents of the argument. An example they give is, my opponent for office just received an endorsement from the Puppy Haters Association. Is that the type of person you'd want to vote for? Or, as defined by Merriam-Webster, The moral guilt or unfitness presumed to exist on the basis of one's known associations. So, I'm not talking about the legal context here, but if someone is getting a lot of endorsements from white supremacists, for example, it would certainly reflect badly in my eyes, even though technically they may not be self-identifying white supremacists themselves, I would have to wonder what it was about them that was attracting so many. Of course, this can be misused, too, to unfairly discredit people. For example, someone could say, Oh, I once saw a random SJW on Twitter with this absurd take, therefore the whole left is bad, or social justice as a whole is bad. Or something like, I've known some horrendous far-right atheists online. Therefore, I'm going to judge all atheists and assume they all have awful politics, and so on. But at other times, I think it can be used completely fairly and rationally, in my opinion. If someone is friends with a lot of Islamists, say, and spouts a lot of their talking points, 
you gotta wonder what the fuck is up with that. And likewise, if someone sounds a lot like a white nationalist, has the same rhetoric and is often praised by them, you should notice that and think about why that may be. If someone claims they aren't right-wing, but constantly shits on the left and spews right-wing garbage, appears on right-wing platforms, praises and promotes right-wingers, it doesn't matter that they say they aren't right-wing or that they say they vote Democrat. Their actions and associations speak louder than their empty words. And it's funny how, quote-unquote, tribally, the ones who constantly brag about how non-tribal they are, use something like guilt by association. If it's a Muslim organization having a lunch, and there was maybe one shady guest that wasn't vetted, well, that's because Muslimics are not to be trusted, you see. They're doing takia. They're lying to you by pretending to be moderate. All Muslims must denounce their religion constantly to prove they aren't homophobic misogynists. But if it's an IDW gathering and there are multiple raging misogynists and homophobes and transphobes present, well, we're just engaging in open-mindedness. Viewpoint diversity. Stop trying to discredit us with guilt by association. So what if there are several Kekistan flags and MAGA hats present here? So what if what we're talking about mirrors Lauren Southern's great replacement shit? Why can't you tolerate different ideas? Why, yes, I did 12 interviews on Breitbart and 9 on Rebel Media. Of course I'm not right-wing. How very dare you. You see, a guilt-by-association fallacy is what happens when you're being discredited. The left is just hysterical and calling everyone Nazis. But when your ideological opponents are being discredited by you, it is noble and urgent and rational to point out their dangerous associations and views. <laughs> I remember when Sam Harris retweeted Dave Rubin who was super angry that the ACLU once tweeted something positive about Linda Sarsour or something, and he wanted the entire ACLU defunded because of that. I remember when Barry Weiss wrote an article about left-wing authoritarianism titled, We're All Fascists Now. I remember various figures being used to tar the entire left. So this is really a syndrome known as, it's okay when we do it. It's a dishonest smear tactic when they do. Who, us? We are doing the difficult, important, and intellectual job of identifying bad actors. Them? Pfft. They are doing intolerant cancel culture. What's that? You think the SPLC got one thing wrong and now you think that racism really isn't real and they're inventing racists to keep themselves in business? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I definitely think it's a case-by-case -case thing. Sometimes someone's associations and types of people and views they defend really speak for themselves. On the left, even. But also in the ITW sphere. And boy, is there a lineup of such associations with Sam Harris.
hasn't met a right-wing reactionary, a bigot, that he doesn't want to defend. Except for the ones with the hoods, of course. Those are just too obvious. Ditto with the Me Too stories. Harvey Weinstein, too much. Bad, definitely. Criticizing someone for less than that, though. And Me Too has gone too far. Here's what he said about Louis C.K. in an interview for Playboy. Let's look at Louis C.K., one of the funniest comics we've ever had, who's now dealing with Me Too accusations. I think he was unlucky in the timing. Everyone was viewing his situation through the lens of Harvey Weinstein. And the interviewer asks, Several women accused Louis C.K. of masturbating in their presence. Isn't this another case of a celebrated male thinking that when you're a star, you're allowed to do anything? And Sam responds, Well, unless there's something I don't understand about Louis C.K.'s situation, it seems like nobody was coerced and nobody felt they couldn't leave the room. Yes, the problem comes when there's a power imbalance. The worst situation would be if he tried to do something to harm somebody's career or discourage them from talking. That would be nefarious. But if you're just talking about a guy who's got this masturbation fetish, and he's asking people if he can masturbate in front of them, and they say yes, and he does it, that's a world away from what is alleged about Harvey Weinstein. So then what happens to someone like Louis C.K.? Starve to death and never work again? Aw, poor Louis C.K., just so unlucky. He's no Harvey Weinstein, okay? This interview is from 2019, and it is truly sad to see how Louis C.K. has since starved to death. (laughs) And in the same interview, Sam also says, Brett Weinstein is as left as you can get on every topic. (laughs) Oh, that's aged beautifully. He says, Ben Shapiro... The far-right freak is committed to the same rules of intellectual honesty and the same principles of charity with regard to other people's positions. And that's why, even though they disagree on a lot, they can have these great conversations. The thing is, though, he likes Ben Shapiro so much because they don't actually care much or spend much time on the things they disagree on, like religion. What they bond over is the many, many things they do agree on, like their hatred of the left and wokeness and anti-racism. And this is why Sam perceives Ben fucking Shapiro to be someone committed to intellectual honesty and principles of charity. It's not because he is, but it's because they all feel super warm and fuzzy in that little echo chamber. So it's extremely dishonest to frame this as if it's someone he's spending a lot of time disagreeing with, and yet somehow they rise above it and manage to be charitable to one another despite their disagreements. No, it's because they don't dwell at all or much upon their disagreements. When Ben Shapiro is your go-to example for intellectual honesty, there might be something wrong with you and your judgment. You might not be as left-wing as you think. This interview was a gold mine, or garbage mine, rather. He also talked about Roseanne's cancellation. The interviewer asked, Do you think Roseanne should still have a TV job after her tweet last year comparing black Obama aide Valerie Jarrett to an ape? Sam responds, 
There, it's harder. There are so many variables. Roseanne clearly was dealing with some mental health issues, popping Ambien all the time. If you saw her conversation in the aftermath with Joe Rogan, you know she's dealing with lots of chaos. You don't know exactly whose thumbs were on her phone. She also claimed, quite credibly, that she didn't even know Valerie Jarrett was black. Like, if you Google Valerie Jarrett and look at the photos that come up, it's not entirely obvious she's black. That's plausible. For me, strangely, the racism here is in the mind of the person interpreting the tweet. It's like, okay, so you're saying that black people look like apes. That's how you're going to read this? Because if Roseanne called her a horse, I think we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, Sam, if the details of this situation were different, then yes, we would not be having this conversation because this conversation is about these specific details. Then the interviewer goes on and says, But there are tropes in our culture that signify deeper meaning. There's a history of African Americans being compared to apes and monkeys. And Sam says, But that wasn't necessarily what it was in the mind of Roseanne at that moment. Or let's look at what happened with Megyn Kelly getting fired by NBC. I don't know Megyn Kelly. I don't know what her actual beliefs are. But she tried to have a conversation about Halloween and why you can't go out in blackface. She said, when I was a kid, you could paint your face if you wanted to go out as Diana Ross. Apparently, she didn't know that statement was radioactive. The term blackface didn't link up in her mind with minstrel shows and and all this other stuff in our culture that we're right to be very critical of. She just meant that if you're dressing up as a character, light or dark-skinned, why can't you put makeup on to make yourself look like that character? That should absolutely be something we're able to talk about on television. The blackface thing Sam has talked about several times, and it certainly bothers him quite a bit. Here's a, here's a clip where he's talking about it with John McWhorter. Ago, the problem with blackface, a sign of... But the fact that it, even I am disposed to give in there, apparently for all time, does seem to me to be a sign of just picking our battles and capitulating. I had to explain to my 11-year-old not long ago the problem with blackface. Mm-hmm. And I found it surprisingly hard to do yeah. in the presence of a child yeah. and to honestly do it because, you know, she in this case, she and a friend wanted to, the friend wanted to dress up like a cup of coffee and, and my daughter was the cream or something like that. Right. It had nothing to do with race. But when alerted to the problem of putting makeup on her face to look like a cup of coffee that occasioned this conversation. What is, feel free to deprogram me on this on this topic, but it just seems to me that at some point in the future, it has to be inoffensive if you want to dress up like a historical figure who had darker skin than you do to put makeup on so as to accomplish that. This is the Megyn Kelly moment of, well, what's wrong with blackface? Well, you know, if you want to dress up like Diana Ross, why can't you put on makeup? Well, what's wrong with blackface? Well, you know, if you want to dress up like Diana Ross, why can't you put on makeup? Well, what's wrong with blackface? Well, what's wrong with blackface? It seems to me that it really should matter that we know 
that a person who at the office party five years ago was simply trying to dress up like one of their favorite people, you know, be it Diana Ross or any other black figure, that that was not an expression of racism. Mm-hmm. It was certainly was an expression of cluelessness with respect to the possible outcomes once the, you know those photos come to light, given everyone's association with the history of blackface. But the idea that it, our, our non-racist future entails the maintenance of this taboo seems crazy to me. So I, well, I, I wonder if you share that, that vision. Sam, or, or I think you're, just obtuse. you're making too much sense. I mean, obviously you're right, and I think you know, 99 out of 100 people listening to this understand that you're right. I mean, the rationale, and it's funny, I'm trying to think of how I would explain to a little white kid what this is. The rationale is supposed to be you don't want to recall minstrel shows. And that's understandable, except that it's at the point where almost nobody alive ever saw a minstrel show. A minstrel show is something that was happening essentially a hundred years ago and before. They were terrible things, but it's something that we know from mostly static photographs. And it is a history that one might consider. One needs to know about it. I recommend that if you want to see a minstrel show, it's funny how much people talk about this. Have you seen one? There's a film, and I kid you not, it's called Mammy. Al Jolson was in it. And you actually see them doing a minstrel show. It's the one place I can think of where you see what it really was clearly recorded on film. So, okay, there were, there were minstrel shows. But is the idea that we can never again have white people put brown makeup on in order to look more like a brown person who they admire because the idea is to look like them? You can't do it with skin because of what Al Jolson and Eddie Cantor did. Obviously, that makes no sense. I frankly think that the oversensitivity we've developed about it. Stop being so oversensitive about blackface, you snowflakes. I mean, why can't people do blackface anymore? It's not like minstrel shows are a thing now. Just get over it already. The oversensitivity we've developed about it over especially about the past 10 years is because there's a certain kind of person who feels it as their mission to identify racism in society and because that can be difficult sometimes if you want to go beyond, say, the police because things are changing so constantly, including a president having been elected twice who was black, including by the sorts of people who are often called racists, i.e. the whites, quote-unquote, out there who helped elect him. It means that you have to start grabbing at straws, and so that means that if there are a couple of places on a very witty and very woke sitcom like 30 Rock where somebody is in brown face as a very layered, many quotation marks joke, even that can't be shown because it is racist and it is unaware of the fact that somebody was dancing around in cork makeup a hundred years ago on stage entertaining people who are now very, very dead. Obviously, no. That is not where we want to go in the future. And I'm disappointed about the way it is now. (laughs) And this whole, I don't know how to talk to my kids about this, has such a vibe of like the old homophobic talking point, like how am I going to explain this to my kids? How am I going to explain gay marriage to my kids thing, right? It's just like that in a way, because 
kids, especially at the age of 11, come on, they're pretty smart and able to grasp concepts like racism and the idea of historical context adding meaning. It's just so bizarre that someone is full of self-praise and someone supposedly so intellectual and rational and excellent at communication is not able to communicate this simple concept to his own child. Like, just for once, instead of gaslighting people and denying it, just fucking acknowledge that someone or something that isn't a self-identifying white supremacist or as obvious as a swastika can, in fact, be bigoted or racist. Just, just once. I mean, not even blackface meets the bar. Fucking hell. Sam Harris admits something or someone is racist without making excuses challenge 2022. Can he do it, folks? My money's on. No. In another podcast, he once talked about how the Me Too line is in one place for attractive guys like Ryan Gosling and in another place for the quote, spectrum-y guy whose radar you don't want to be on as a woman. Like, I, I, wow, like, it, it, he, he sounds like some incel sometimes. Just so gross and ableist. Once you start looking at the repeated patterns of who and what Sam defends and stands behind, you know his horrendous views aren't an accident or an occasional slip-up. Here he is on the whole Liam Neeson story with Joe Rogan. Well, the Liam Neeson story is a perfect yeah. example. Let's go there. Okay, yeah, go let, let's go there. A perfect example of a story where... You know, if you were Liam's friend, you would go, don't tell that one. Right, yeah, don't yeah. tell that one. He's like, but I want to be honest. Yeah. Like, don't. Don't. You could be honest with me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. If you tell me that someone got raped and you went out with a baseball bat for a, a week looking for a black man to beat up. I'll to kill. kill. Yeah. To kill. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Like, what the fuck was going through your head at that point in time? Like, that's terrible. Like, yeah, like, I feel awful about it. I can't believe that was me. But right. but it didn't happen. Nothing happened. And now, you know, people are calling him a racist, and they don't want him in movies. And Well, I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me because, again, this is a much larger problem with, with massive implications. We need to think through the whole process of redemption for yes. people in our society. Right? Like, like we, we have to understand... What are the what are the criteria for successful apologies and for forgiveness? I love how Rogan even says if it was his friend, he'd say don't tell that story in public, but he could tell him because Rogan wouldn't judge his friend for expressing a desire for some murderous bloodthirsty racism. Uh yikes. This is not about just making a rude joke, for fuck's sake, or even your standard everyday racism. This is so much worse than that. And yet, that is who these guys can't help but sympathize with. I've never heard even a fraction of this level of compassion for a woke SJW. It's truly, truly horrifying to think of what bothers these guys in these situations and what doesn't. It's so telling. Thank you.
their reputations destroyed and their careers threatened for tweets they sent as teenagers. Yeah. Right. And and you know more. This this is to Dorsey's point. Things are not disappearing online anymore. And at a certain point, you know, everyone. This is just going to be a 360 kind of panopticon view of everyone's life. You know, there are people who have grown up on social media, and everything is out there. And um, I mean, the irony here for me is that. You have you know progress, progressives and you know, people on the far left who receive a disclosure like you know Liam Neeson's. Let's, let's take his, and they just want you know they just want to see him burned alive, right? Let's, let's just do the wicker man on this guy because this is you know this is so awful. Now, since I'm not the straw man left SJW he's concocted in his head, I completely agree that we shouldn't be judging people for old views they have clearly apologized for and regretted and evolved on. But a prerequisite to evolving on things should at the very least be an acknowledgement of how wrong your previous views were and demonstrable change in that matter, then certainly I think it's unfair of anyone to hold you accountable for old tweets that you may have already addressed, but not if you're still spouting the same types of views, making it clear that you haven't changed very much, and not if you haven't addressed those things at all. Then I think it's fair to question old views. But of course there are other factors to consider. If someone was a teenager when posting something stupid online, you could definitely make a case for them not to be judged harshly because who doesn't have at least some ridiculous views as a teenager? But then this also depends on the thing being posted. Having some dumb take on politics or something is one thing, but like... Being a murderous Nazi, for example, or posting revenge porn is not your average teenage stupidity. These types of things are pretty serious and horrific. So even this has to be judged on a case-by-case basis. Now, as far as Liam Neeson is concerned, I mean, this wasn't just a bad, off-putting view, slightly bigoted joke or something. This was him literally confessing to wanting to murder someone innocent on the basis of race. So I think you should be able to see why people were understandably shocked, horrified, terrified, and appalled at this type of volunteered confession. And of course, Joe Rogan and Harris are here to defend Neeson. And they just want, you know, they just want to see him burned alive, right? Let's let's just do the wicker man on this guy because this is, you know, this is so awful. And yet, alongside that, these same people on the left, these same people on the left, these same people on the left are people who have as a as a genuine ethical norm. The rehabilitation of murderers, yes. right? Like you could be somebody who spent, you know, twenty years in prison for a crime you admit you committed, and there's this norm around redemption, and uh, so there's, you know, there's no way to square those two things. Well, they're they're constantly holding these two, two contradictions, yeah. right? Even in this situation, the problem is the left and progressives. Then it's time for some more strawmanning. 
There's nothing contradictory here, of course. No mainstream left opinion that I came across called for the murder or burning of Liam Neeson. There was only, and justifiably, anger and horror at his story. Why wouldn't there be? Give people a minute to react, for fuck's sake. And how is this incompatible with wanting a way to rehabilitate people who commit crimes in more humane and effective ways? You can be furious about a specific awful crime or action or view and also recognize that the system we have as a whole right now is maybe not the best way to deal with people. Constantly holding these two, two contradictions, yeah. right? I mean, here's another one. Women's rights and support of the hijab. I mean, yeah. What, yeah, this is, what's going on there? How do you do that? How, you know, don't be Islamophobic, but also support women's rights and gay rights. Yeah. Okay. Then Joe Rogan thought, hmm, how do I stick Muslimics into this? Well, again, this may be contradictory if you're a fundamentalist or a literalist teenager or an edgelord atheist, but if you look at this like a mature adult, there is nothing contradictory about not being anti-Muslim, which is what Islamophobia usually refers to. You can very much be for women's rights and gay rights and also not anti-Muslim. This is a false choice being presented here. You don't have to sign on to everything the hijab stands for to simply show solidarity with Muslim women who are often targeted by bigots for their visible Muslimness. Not wanting them to face bigotry doesn't mean you automatically endorse everything ever written in Islamic scripture. <laughs> it can't possibly be this unintelligent. Some of this has to be on purpose, right? He, you know, he had a friend who was raped. And then he reported this state of mind, this murderous state of mind he was in, where he was walking around with, uh, he, uh, he calls it a kosh, I mean, that's a British word for like a, it's like a, a small metal club, right? Um, it's like a blackjack or like another term for it, I think. And um, looking for a black guy to kill, you know, like just hoping someone's going to come out of the woodwork and threaten him so that he could, you know, kill this guy in this act of instrumental violence because his friend had been raped by a black guy, right? So it's like any black guy will do. Now that's, that's sort of like the, the extra horrific wrinkle to the story, right? Now, and he's confessing this as a kind of a symptom of transient mental illness, at least as, as far as I know. It's like a, he's horrified by the fact that he was in this state of mind, right? Can you imagine? Like, I, you know, Liam Neeson, an actor, uh, I have everything to lose. And although I don't remember what, at what point in his life he, he said this happened. Um, can you imagine that I was in this state of mind, right? And this is, as you say, an all too honest disclosure, but. It is damn interesting, right? Uh, is it, Sam? Is it really that interesting? And it is the kind of thing that we should be able to talk about. Yeah, but I mean, he did talk about it. What you mean to say is we should be able to say these things without being accused of racism or without receiving criticism. Cancel culture has gone too far now. Whomst among us hasn't contemplated a little race-based murder, eh? Right, and, and it's not, and the fact that this is becoming synonymous with racism 
seems just wrong given given how he's de he described her, at least how I've I've heard this because fucking hell. When fantasizing about murdering any black guy doesn't meet your bar for racism. I mean, well, shit, this is literally the definition of racism, Sam. It isn't unfairly being made synonymous with it. He's saying, listen, if this had been an Armenian guy or an Italian or a Japanese guy, I'd be looking for one of them, right? I mean, what, what, what this was, at least on his telling, is the, the virus of instrumental violence. I mean, the, the, vi the virus of, like, I mean, this is how every blood feud ever in human history gets started. It's like, you, like, someone from your tribe killed my brother, and now what I want to do is kill anyone from your tribe, right? It doesn't matter who, right? And, and that's, you know, clearly as toxic as it gets, you know, ethically, but that's not racism. That's not racism. That's not racism. It's not really racism because he would have gone out looking for any race of guy that had attacked his friend. Let's split some microscopic hairs here and find an out somehow. Right, that's just... That is, that we, we have a word for it. It's, in, it's instrumental violence. Um, but, you know, yeah, obviously he's getting totally pilloried over this. This also reminds me of his take on uh, Trump's shithole countries comment, how he just couldn't acknowledge that that could be racist. He had to search and grasp at straws to find some other explanation. Yes, I would be worried about setting the bar at you have to be a celebrity who's taped on camera repeatedly using the n-word and anything short of that is not. That's not the bar. If you're going to refer to shithole countries as a a rich guy, pseudo-billionaire who likes everything in his life gilded, it seems to me the variable there is not race, the salient variable, the necessary variable in order to understand the utterance is not race, it is squalor and poverty and disease and it's, he's talking about the developing world and if you could find me a country filled with white people who are as poor and chaotic as what you find in Congo, well then he's talking about them too, I, I, right? Or he would be. What's fascinating to me here is how desperate these guys are, or one particular guy is in this instance, to distance a literal race-based murder fantasy confession from the word racism. You think I'm joking and being over the top when I say Sam can't accept anything as racist unless there's a physical KKK hood associated with it, but just look at this. It, it's it's incredible. It's It's pathetic, but it is amazing. The mental gymnastics on display here. He's saying, listen, if this had been an Armenian guy or an Italian or a Japanese guy, I'd be looking for one of them, right? I mean, what, what, what this was, at least on his telling, is the, the virus of instrumental violence. Even Joe Rogan felt compelled to push back. But then, of course, he backed off very quickly. Yeah, um, I mean, it is racism, though, right? Because he's specifically looking for a black guy. I mean, well, well, no, I, I no, understand it, that it's a part of the other tribe. No, but it doesn't suggest that he has a, a that he disposed that he feels one way or another right. about black people. It's right. like, like, if you told me... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, could, he could have said, again, it could have been... 
uh, an Irish guy, right? Or it could have been, I mean, well, I guess he's Irish. He's Scottish or Irish. Um, it could have been an English guy, right? It could have been like any type, right? It's like it, the, the salience of the tribe is what he was reacting to, yeah. at least in his description. I don't know why you wouldn't take him at his word given that he didn't have to say any of this in the first place, right? I mean, like, this is a, an amazingly right. honest and unnecessary disclosure. But it's, um, and I don't think people would think of it as racism if he, if the story simply was, uh, you know, she got raped by a, a cop, and I was just hoping to go kill a cop, right? right. You know, it, the same story, right. right? And I don't think people would think of it as racism if he, if the story simply was, uh, you know, she got raped by a, a cop, and I was just hoping to go kill a cop, right? right. You know, it, the same story, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, but we're so trigger-happy in our outrage with respect to anything like Why that. Why do you think that is? Like, what, what is going on? Because outrage seems to be more in season than it's ever been in my lifetime. I don't, I don't remember outrage being so just such a it's 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 recreational yeah i mean look if we just change this story to neeson saying this about a white guy or a cop then it wouldn't be racism right if we just change enough of this story if we take out the details and replace them with other ones it wouldn't be about the thing people are complaining about then would it <laughs> And to close this little bit off, let's just listen to Liam Neeson's own words on this again. I'll tell you a story. This is true. I'm not going to use any names, but I was away in my came back and she told me she had been raped. But she handled the situation of the rape in the most extraordinary way. But my immediate reaction was, I asked did, they, did she know who there was? No. What color were they? What color were they? What color were they? She said it was a black person. I went up and down areas with a cosh, hoping I'd be uh, approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know. Black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know. Black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know. So that I could kill him. And it was, it took me a week, maybe a week and a half to kind of go for that. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm just going out for a walk, you know. What's wrong? No, nothing's wrong. Fine. And it was horrible, horrible when I think back. But I did that. And I've never admitted that to it. I'm saying it to a journalist. But forbid. Holy shit. It's awful. But I did learn a lesson from it. When I eventually thought, what the fuck are you doing, you know? Now, when that doesn't reach your bar for racism, I don't know what will. You remember what Sam had to say about Steve Bannon, right? Again, I, I totally agree with you about Steve Bannon. He's not hes not Richard Spencer. I think hes he's unfairly slimed as being that sort of right-wing 
xenophobe or racist. And Trump, multiple times. Certainly in Trump's case, I'm more or less sure that he is guilty as charged. But again, the question is, are these utterances evidence of the crime? He is a buffoon. And I'm sure he's also a racist. But again, this isn't clear evidence, in my view, of racism. My problem with the left is that it's finding evidence of racism everywhere, even where it manifestly does not exist. And here was a case in Trump's recent tweets against the so-called squad, uh, where it was susceptible to other readings. Many of the attacks on Trump are so poorly targeted mm-hmm. that he's being, you know, call, he's being called a racist for things that are not you know, evidence of racism. Now, I have no doubt he actually is a racist, but uh, no exaggeration. Half of the evidence adduced for his racism by the left is just it's just just maliciously just poorly targeted. And Derek Chauvin. No, I don't know anything about Derek Chauvin, the cop who knelt on his neck. It's quite possible he's a terrible person who should have never been a cop. He seems to have a significant number of complaints against him. Though as far as I know, the details of those complaints haven't been released. And he might be a racist on top of being a bad cop. Or he might be a guy who was totally in over his head and thought you could restrain someone indefinitely by keeping a knee on their neck. I don't know. I'm sure more facts will come out. But whoever he is, I find it very unlikely that he was intending to kill George Floyd. I mean, he described Lauren Southern, the desperately trying to rebrand herself, but we all know she's a white nationalist, that Lauren Southern. He described her once on his show as a mere conservative journalist. I noticed the other day that Patreon canceled the account of a conservative journalist, Lauren Southern without warning and and without, as they stated, any possibility of appeal. Now, I'm not taking a position with respect to Southern. I'm actually not really familiar with her work. This was the first time he threatened to quit Patreon because she was being deplatformed for firing flare guns at migrant boats. He later went back on this decision because after giving it some thought, he accepted that... Alright, fine. Firing flare guns with the potential of causing a loss of life was maybe a good enough reason to face the harsh consequences of being booted off a website. But even though he decided not to quit Patreon that time, he didn't denounce Lauren Southern or anything, or own the fact that he shouldn't have characterized her as a regular conservative journalist. Nope. And even though... This political commentary stuff is his literal job, and as far as I know, he has access to Google also. He will often put out something in defense of, or refuse to make a judgment on, some far-right character on his large, influential platform. But he'll always throw out the old, oh, I don't know enough about them excuse. But here I am talking about them on my massive podcast with millions of listeners either downplaying them completely or praising or defending them or playing dumb about whether they are far right or bigoted even. He was doing the Reuben grift before Reuben was doing it. (laughs) I mean, why would he put out an episode 
declaring that he was going to quit Patreon because Lauren Southern, someone he claims not to know enough about, was deplatformed. Why not look into that situation and then decide whether that move was worth making? Or say you made that mistake and you put all that out. Then once you've looked into her, or once you've learned why she was actually being deplatformed and you decided not to quit Patreon over that, then at least put out some clarification. Say that, okay, okay, I characterized her as a conservative journalist and I really shouldn't have because she's a far-right extremist. But no, no such thing from Sammy. And let's not forget who he did quit Patreon over. Sargon of Akkad. You know, the guy known for saying, I wouldn't even rape you to a woman. And this is what he had to say about that situation. I reached out to Patreon CEO Jack Conti, and I asked him what went into this decision. And he told me that they have a trust and safety team that evaluates these things exhaustively. And so I said, well, can you provide links to the examples of the speech that sealed Benjamin's fate with the team? And he did that. He sent me the transcript of what he said and links to the audio on YouTube. And the transcript was fairly eye-opening. He was using the N-word with apparent abandon and using other slurs. But then I clicked through to the offending audio. And honestly... It took me about 45 seconds to determine that the context really mattered here. What was happening was Benjamin was being attacked by white supremacists in an online chat, and he was castigating them in terms that he thought they would find offensive. And while I don't support his tactics here, you know, none of it sounded good, and obviously it could be used against him maliciously. The truth is, there was simply no indication that he would use these words in other contexts to express his own bigotry. He was also appearing on someone else's channel, right? So therefore, this forum wasn't even funded by his own Patreon page. So it's very hard to see how he was in violation of their terms of service. And the fact that it took me less than a minute to understand these things, while Patreon claims to have done this exhaustive review, made me worry about the degree to which political bias is clouding the company's judgment. So as I thought was clear in my initial email, this really wasn't a pure case of me communicating my solidarity with Benjamin or anyone else. It was in part that, certainly from what I can tell, what was done to him was deeply unfair. But honestly, I was also motivated by my own self-interest here. As I said, I can't allow any significant part of my podcast funding to exist at the pleasure of a bunch of millennials who can't figure out which way is up when someone utters a taboo string of syllables. And this is him on Robert Spencer, the well-known, rabid anti-Muslim, so bad that even Kathy Young can see how bad he is. And I know for a fact that when he said this, 
Him and I had discussed Spencer before. He had heard my episode with him, and we had discussed it in quite some detail, and he absolutely knew enough about him to decide whether he was a bigot or not. But of course, Robert Spencer doesn't self-identify as a bigot, so Sam couldn't possibly say one way or another. I now have echoing in my ear my own use of the word Islamophobia from several minutes ago. And I don't know that the scare quotes of, of derision were conveyed by my tone there because I, I don't want to be one of these people who uses this term as though it were a legitimate one. I think this term is, has, has been consciously engineered to prevent us from talking honestly about Islam, Islamism, jihadism, etc. I just want our listeners to know that I have not caught the virus. Or if I did, I've only had it for about five seconds. And I also don't want to have caricatured Robert in my effort to untangle my previous mentionings of him on the podcast. I have no reason to believe Robert is a bigot and someone I couldn't have a perfectly reasonable conversation with. I simply don't know. I simply don't know. I simply don't know. I simply don't know. And given how much I talk about this issue and how loath I am to keep talking about it, I, like you, feel, as a matter of priority, a public engagement with Robert is probably not on the calendar anytime soon, but I, I, I don't mean to stigmatize him in the way we're talking about him. But the, the issue is, again, it comes back to points of confusion about who anyone is. And then this is what he said about Milo, and boy, did that ever age well with his... Nazi ties and associations being exposed. His criticism of the left is no doubt sincere, but he's a kind of performance artist. I mean, he's, he's just winding up the left. And, you know, perhaps I've missed it, but I haven't seen anything from him that is real racist bigotry. Please take this caveat on board. I have not read all of Milo's stuff uh, or much of it. Maybe there's something I've missed. Feel free to point that out to me. But the Milo I've seen is very far from being a neo-Nazi or someone who is whose attitudes are truly of the right. That's probably not an accident. I mean, he's flamboyantly gay and half-Jewish, I believe. I don't know how right-wing he could be in the end. His ban from Twitter is ridiculous, given that Twitter doesn't ban jihadists with any reliability. There's definitely a liberal media bias that is cutting against people like Milo, which he and his fans are appropriately outraged about. And as for the alt-right, for which Milo is the poster boy, I'm not sure I can say anything about it that is fair or useful. It seems to contain some smart people who are outraged by outrageous things, as Milo seems to be, at least some of the time. And it contains real racist nitwits and everything in between. It's a bit like the Black Lives Matter movement in that respect. It's a bit like the Black Lives Matter movement in that respect. It's a bit like the Black Lives Matter movement in that respect. Which is to say a totally mixed bag. Which is to say a totally mixed bag. And the net result of which is divisive, in my view. 
Then there was a time he endorsed an obviously bizarre far-right imam on Twitter who is not a real imam at all, saying, This was remarkably honest and refreshing. Why aren't most imams like this? The, quote, imam of peace was an absurd character who, strangely, has been MIA since November 2020, He is basically an anti-Muslim, anti-Islam imam who appeared on every right-wing show he could get his hands on to confirm all their anti-Muslim talking points about things like how most Muslims are apparently interpreting the Quran violently. He even appeared on white nationalist shows. If that doesn't set off red flags for you, I mean, what are you even doing being a political commentator? It's completely unsurprising that Sam found him refreshing and exciting. Even though he got progressively more and more blatant and just worse to a comical degree, Sam never retracted his praise of him, though. Even as he clearly went further and further off the deep end, tweeting things like hashtag it's okay to be white, hinting at pro-segregation views through analogies about laundry and how colored clothes destroy the whites if you put them together. But nope, not a single acknowledgement from Sam about how maybe he shouldn't have endorsed this guy. Then there's Tommy Robinson. Sam talked about him on my episode with him too, where I gave him many very, very, very specific examples of Tommy's bigotry and racism. But as usual, Sam claimed to not know enough. Even after our conversation where he could have easily checked out a couple of the many things I mentioned to him. But no, he continued to retweet occasional things defending Tommy Robinson. And in his conversation with Mariam Namazi, Tommy Robinson was also mentioned. And there too, he claimed not to know enough while defending him. Look, 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 if you don't know enough about someone, then you really shouldn't put yourself out there and defend them right? But if you keep defending someone and enjoy their content and comment on it, you can't have the position that you don't know enough. If you keep talking about them positively, you clearly know enough to say that much. He defended and praised in particular Tommy's conversation with Dave Rubin. Given a shortage of time, it isn't always easy to determine who is who. And so I find myself in the strange position of hearing someone make sense on the topic of Islam. But this person has come to me with their reputation pre-stigmatized by people like you. You've called them a bigot. Let's say Tommy Robinson or Mark Stein. And these are people who, you know, I'm not especially familiar with. I haven't read, if they have books, I haven't read their books. I've just seen them give a speech. Um, I'll give you an example of this. So, for instance, Tommy Robinson just did an interview with Dave Rubin where he made sense, really perfect sense, for an hour and did not say a single bigoted thing. Right now, I'm not very familiar with Tommy Robinson. I, I I don't live in the U.K., and I just know that he is under the shadow of more or less constant accusations of racism and bigotry. And yet I hear him speak for an hour, and even when pressed on the topic of past associations with bigots, 
he made perfect sense and talked about how he left the EDL because of those racist elements that came into it. Let me just share some clips of that conversation that he thought was perfectly reasonable and made so much sense. And in the leaflets, I made a point that our, our daughters and our sisters are being groomed, which we now know as an epidemic called grooming, which is where the groups of Muslim men would get young girls and they gang rape them, yeah? The groups of Muslim men would get young girls and they gang rape them, yeah? The groups of Muslim men would get young girls and they gang rape them, yeah? And, and it's become an epidemic across the UK. Yeah. But it's been going on for 30 years. No one's ever spoke about it. Now, 12 years ago, I made a leaf. It sounds like, and from the emails I'm getting from Denmark and Sweden and all this, that something has happened in Europe, but I guess specifically in the UK, where for whatever reason, the Muslim population just hasn't integrated the way that other immigrant populations have. But could some, could some of that be on the fault of the UK and not just the, the Muslim population? Yes, it can, yes. Um, it can be on the fault of multiculturalists who encouraged all these people to come here, told them that their culture was equal to ours, who encouraged all these people to come here, told them that their culture was equal to ours, who encouraged all these people to come here, told them that their culture was equal to ours, told them that they can go back into their own communities, they can live as they did in Afghanistan and Iraq and Pakistan. Um, and as soon as anyone like ourselves tried to scratch beneath the surface to say, well, let's see where we differ culturally, let's see where our opinions differ, then we've been screamed down as racists. And the reality is, we need to understand, and you say it's worked relatively well in, in, in America, you have nowhere near the percent of Muslims in comparison to, to Europe, and it, and it will not work well in America. And that's the, that's the warning you need to realise, is that you need to learn from what's happening over here, because you're going to face the same problems. If you have uneducated Somalians coming in uncontrollable numbers, you'll face exactly the same problems I've, I've grown up with in Luton. If you have uneducated Somalians coming in uncontrollable numbers, you'll face exactly the same problems I've, I've grown up with in Luton. If you have uneducated Somalians coming in uncontrollable numbers, you'll face exactly the same problems I've, I've grown up with in Luton. The, the, the level, the viewing of it within the community or within the group is not viewed in a similar way to how we would. If, if, if a member of our community said, I've got this young 12-year-old girl, then you'd fill them in. Right. But, but this is something very, very different, and it's, it, it is new to the country. And what we're seeing now, you, you, we've seen it with Cologne again with, on, on New Year's Eve, it's now been put in people's faces more than ever. And we feel, I feel, I've got two young daughters. I've got two young daughters. I sit and thinking, she's not free to walk to her shops in Germany in 2016. Why is she not free? Because hordes of hordes of Muslim men, hordes of hordes of Muslim men, hordes of hordes of Muslim men are coming in from a completely different culture, a completely different view on women, a completely different. That's we have to understand their mindset. One and a half million last year. There is going to be a flood in the next coming years of tens of millions of Muslims. A flood in the next coming years of tens of millions of Muslims. A flood in the next coming years of tens of millions of Muslims. Yeah? Come into our, come into Europe, come into our continent, where that girl and her feeling 
is just going to be natural to everybody. Everybody's going to be feeling that. We shouldn't feel fearful in our, in our, in our own homes and towns. And we do. Right. And we and, do. And, and all, all, we have, all I ever hear about is Islamophobia. All we ever hear about is that Muslim women are scared. I'm not being funny, but no, no one's raped Muslim women. No one is gang raping Muslim women. No young Muslim girls were attacked on New Year's Eve. No Muslim has had their heads, head cut off in the street. No, this is not happening to Muslims. He made sense, really perfect sense, for an hour and did not say a single bigoted thing. He made sense, really perfect sense, for an hour and did not say a single bigoted thing. He made sense, really perfect sense, for an hour and did not say a single bigoted thing. Did not say a single bigoted thing did not say a single bigoted thing did not say a single bigoted thing ah yes the perfectly rational and reasonable talking points of there are hordes and hordes of muslim men floods of muslims coming to rape our women and groom our children It's perfectly reasonable to generalize all Muslims this way in unhinged rants. And if called out, you just backtrack and say, What? You were only referring to the extremists. Saying things like, This is all new to Europe. Implying that the hordes of dangerous Muslims are the ones bringing rape and pedophilia to your shores. Come on, what's wrong with a little screeching about uncontrollable numbers of Somalis being allowed into your country, or about how Muslims are attacking European women, but no one is attacking Muslim women, despite there being many anti-Muslim attacks. All of that and more is characterized by the very respectable, famous neuroscientist Sam Harris as making perfect sense on the topic of Islam and not saying a single bigoted thing. I mean, sure, it echoes classic white supremacist talking points about hordes of primitive men coming to rape white women, but what's bigoted about that? Sammy, as we've seen before, is quite fond of that talking point. This is the quality of stuff Sam has used his platform to support and defend and give legitimacy to for years. Always with a very clever little caveat of, oh, I don't really know enough about this thing or person I'm absolutely promoting or defending so that he can weasel out of it whenever someone points out just how concerning it is. What, the alt-right? Oh, it's full of some very smart people. And of course, of course, a couple of real racists, too. And also everything in between. It's just like BLM. What, what, why are you criticizing me? I didn't know what the alt-right was when I said that. Oh, and he tried to pull this, oh, I don't know enough thing on the Brett Weinstein topic recently, too. What's conspicuous here is what I am not saying in Brett's defense. I mean, Brett is somebody who I consider a friend. He's definitely a colleague. He's moderated some of my debates. I know his brother, Eric, very well. Uh, He's a fellow podcaster. We've been on each other's podcasts. I guess I would say that I haven't heard everything he has said on this topic. 
and he's gone on for many, many hours. Then there was James Damore, the MRA-type fired-from-Google guy, who Sam thinks was treated super unfairly by the woke theocracy, (laughs) because all the poor guy was trying to do was talk about some basic facts, some settled science stuff, like how women are neurotic, you know? James Damore wrote what was an utterly innocuous and almost entirely defensible scientific document, right? Which was just, I mean, it was, he was just kind of bemoaning the fact that you couldn't talk about these things at Google. He not only got fired, he got vilified publicly, just and the vilification continues. And even if, whatever error might be found in his letter, people of goodwill have to be able to talk about these things honestly. Agreed. But I also want to know that why he was doing exclusively alt-right and, and white nationalist podcasts for months after yeah, that incident. Yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting is that you, I mean, in his case, I mean, I don't know him, I, you know, I haven't met him. So, maybe if you don't follow him closely, you might not see it. But if you just scratch the surface, even, if you just glance a little beyond. You don't even have to look that carefully, honestly. You can see that this is a well-established pattern of his. He does it over and over and over again, especially when it concerns racists or racism. He will come rushing to defend true rational hero that he is. Is there a word for serial Racism and racist defenders? I can't quite think of one right now. Maybe you can let me know. (laughs) And this is just the stuff I managed to fit into this episode. There's tons and tons more of that. He is working hard every day churning this shit out at the Bigotry and Racism Denial Factory. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you're even still remotely a fan of his, you might consider not being one. Because sure, he has access to all the big names and powerful, interesting people that he invites onto his show, and many of them may not even have a clue that he spends the rest of his time sounding like a Fox News host. But it's the things he sneaks in with the benign-seeming episodes that quote-unquote radicalize people. What he preaches on his show has real-world effects, and there are some disaffected white young men somewhere who are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Not even just white men, to be honest. And they are being made to believe that any discussion of racism is wokeness gone wild, that Muslim immigrants are breeding uncontrollably and will take over the West, that all minorities except right-wing ones are exaggerating their experiences with bigotry, that some races are inherently smarter and therefore superior in some ways to others. And this is what you should judge him by. Judge him by his views, his friends, his associations, and who and what he rushes to defend. That should tell you something about him. And if it still doesn't, with all the evidence I've compiled in this episode, well, I guess then 
no amount of evidence will be enough. You'll just have to figure that one out on your own or not. But I can definitely hope that you do. Anyway, this is me signing off. Last episode of 2021. I thought I would go out with a bang this year. Hence the longest, juiciest woking up episode so far. Just for you. Happy New Year, everyone. Be safe and responsible out there. Get vaccinated and boosted. And if you enjoyed this jam-packed episode with 40% extra rationality, then please consider supporting the show. That is the only way I can do such time-consuming deep-dive work. We are getting closer to the end of my planned episodes for this mini-series, and many have requested a second season of Woking Up, covering a different charlatan. And hey, maybe if I reach a certain Patreon goal, we can lock that in. So sign up today if you want more of this high-quality ear torture at patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. Also, let me know what you thought of the episode. I have been working on it forever. And at the end of the day, it's your comments and feedback that make this all worthwhile. Oh, and remember, guys, the CDC is so woke that what it cares about most is corporate profits. Thanks for listening to Woking Up. You can support this show by sharing it or via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. And a special thanks to Intellectual Dark Wave for helping out on the musical front.